Hey everyone, I'm George Edelman. Welcome to the No Film School podcast, a podcast where we talk to filmmakers working today about their work, their process, what they've learned, their careers, and how they got where they are today and where they want to go next. My guest today is Nora Fingscheid, who just directed The Unforgivable, starring Sandra Bullock, which is available on Netflix. Now, this is an intense movie with some very intense themes on a very difficult topic. And when you're someone like Nora, who has been in the indie film space, where she got a lot of positive attention with System Crasher, it's a big jump. It's the kind of jump we all want to make as filmmakers, but it's fascinating to hear someone talk about it from the inside, especially contending with all the factors that go into a movie of this scale. You've got Netflix, you've got Sandra Bullock, you've got all these factors. And how she made that leap is certainly given the way filmmaking changes in the last few years as well, on top of just the normal challenges that would face someone making this jump. So Nora gives us a lot of insight into that process, uh, how it came to be, how she got the opportunity, and what kept her sane, and how she managed it through it all. So here we go. Really excited to have you. This is a very interesting movie. There's a lot packed into a feature film. <laughs> There's a lot going on here with The Unforgivable. But I think what I wanted to, to start with is just work a little backwards and talk about how you get an opportunity like this. This kind of movie, working with Netflix, working with Sandra Bullock, this IP, it was a TV show, right? Yes. So yeah, let's just go back to kind of what, what got you started on this project. Well, it, it's kind of a, from my perspective, crazy story because I had made one feature documentary um, and then a feature fiction film, System Crasher, which premiered at the Berlin Film Festival. It won an award there. And then Veronica Ferris, who is an actress in Germany, but also producer saw the film and contacted me saying that she's co-producing another film, which she thinks I would be a perfect match. And Sandra Bullock's playing the lead, Graham King producing, if I'm okay with her forwarding the link of system crusher. Well, and I thought, of course, you know, I'm happy. (laughs) Sandra Bullock are, uh, are watching my movie, but I didn't really think at all that that would be sort of realistic to be honest you know um for me it was more like oh that's that's cool to read a hollywood script you know i'm i'm sure <laughs> i've learned something just from reading it and then they actually watched the film and they loved system crusher and they invited me to la um to to share my ideas on the script and yeah all of a sudden i got the job so. <laughs> wow so it was really like an open directing assignment for you and did you have representation out here that they came through, I assume? Um, no, that came no. directly through Veronica. So at that time, I didn't have any any manager in the U.S. I do have now Eileen Feldman, but back then it was a little bit, yeah, <laughs> a little bit overwhelming. There was a British agency who helped making the deal of everything, but it, it went really fast. You know, I had heard usually that you spend the time in the U.S. in development hell, as they call yes. it. <laughs> they invite <laughs> you and then you're in this nice villa with pool and then nothing happens and then you go back to Europe. That was, that's the usual story. In this case, it was different. And 
the script at that time was already a feature film script, not a miniseries script anymore. Of course, I've watched the miniseries in order to prepare for the meeting and to also understand what transfer had happened. But Broadway had acquired the rights for the miniseries nine years ago. So there there had been a lot of development time before. So the, you, you got to come in after develop, the development hell time had been going on for nine years. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, so that, yeah, that was part of what I was wondering. I was like, I'm wondering if this had been something you'd been kind of waiting on a while or, or when you came in, but it's a really unique story. You're coming into it. So I'm, now I want to go back a little further again and talk about System Crasher, which came out 2019. Knowing what System Crasher is and that you, 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 know, you made that, you had, made some shorts you kind of came up a very different route not in hollywood and then suddenly you were kind of drafted into you know this this big project since it's so different did you ever converse with them or or talk about the script the producers and sandra bullock in a way that was like here's what you know we want you to bring to the table you being you (laughs) well i remember the very first meeting that i had with graham um, we sat down and I had prepared a lot of questions because I had no idea about this process. I had a question about the script, but also about filming and timing. And, you know, I, I came with with a whole paper full of questions. Um, but the one thing that he said that day that really stuck with me is that he said, I want to make this film as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. Being very clear about this being a, a commercial film and not an art house drama. So I internally, you know, panicked because I was, of course, thinking like, why, why do you hire me then? You know, what do I bring to the table? I just made a really straightforward art house drama. But I guess, you know, what Ruth Slater and Benny have in common is that they are sort of anti-heroes hmm. and that you sort of, you're afraid for them because of themselves. I mean, Benny is, of course, a child much more aggressive than Ruth is, but you're, you, ha- you have, a, as an audience, a very complicated relationship to that sort of main character because the character does something that you really do not appreciate. However, you sort of root for the character. I guess that's what they have in common. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think finding that sort of common ground and, and like where the story connects to you, you know, makes sense anytime you come into it. I'm also, you know, curious about that, that aspect of being a filmmaker coming in and having all those questions, you know, about what this process would look like and coming into it and, and, you know, where they are with everything. Since they had a script and they had a star, did you feel sort of overwhelmed by all the pieces in place? You know, having an experience coming through making shorts and making your own feature and you know, things like that that you wrote? Was it like, okay, a, a different kind of directing almost? I mean, for sure. It's, it's, it was a very different and form of directing and an overwhelming experience, but an amazing one. Um, but then on the other hand, I feel at least from... From my experience, directing always is sort of overwhelming. You're always hmm. in a situation where you think like, oh God, how, how, how are we going to do that? You know, the, the documentary that we did, we filmed in Argentina and living with a fundamental sect. So we filmed with 
we were living with people who, who refuse technology, refuse any sort of modern life. You know, there is no music, no cars, no electricity, nothing. And it was 120 degrees sometimes. It was crazily hot. And over, over Christmas in the north of Argentina, our DOP all got really, really sick from a heavy sunstroke that he had. And it was the wow. complete overwhelming overwhelmment what's the word <laughs> overwhelmingness yeah. overwhelmment and then on the other hand filming system crasher you know 70 shooting days with just a million euro budget um was <laughs> sort of crazy with 40 kids you know being part of the cast right you're and, never supposed to shoot with kids at all right under <laughs> yeah. that time constraint <laughs> So it was it was insane as well. So then, you know, from those two extremes, all of a sudden stand on this massive Hollywood film set with mm. five hundred people where I have to sometimes ask the assistant director, like, please explain what that person's doing or that, you know, but because I wasn't familiar with any of the protocols at all. Of course it's overwhelming. And of yeah. course it's very different. At the same time though the very core work of of directing is the same it's hmm. like what can i give the actors to make them feel free and be cr as creative as they can without distracting them you know and you have to be super alert because every actor needs something else and you come to those questions like is the scene working or not are we filming it in a way that we capture the magical moment or not hmm. What's the motivation of the character in that scene? Mm. Or are we having too much dialogue? You know, and that's the, it's like cooking, but with much, much bigger pots in, in a more complicated kitchen. But in the end, it still has to taste good. Yeah, that's a good metaphor. So it's the same process once you get past the, all the different tools and the sides of the kitchen you're in. I mean, you have like a great star ingredient in Sandra Bullock. So like, I don't even know how to talk about her as in that context, but like, what's the collaboration like with somebody like that, you know, as celebrated as she is across, you know, she's done so many different kinds of performances with such success. How do you, how, how did you guys find your, your rhythm as a team? What did you, what did you, what, did you, uh, what was the working relationship like? So um, it was basically uh, a team of three. So it was Sandy Graham and me, the three of us being this creative comedy from day one until the very last day. And and the great thing for me was that they respected me throughout the process on a very eye level. Sometimes, you know, um, I needed support in terms of how can we tell that in a more commercial or more Hollywood way because I come from a different sort of filmmaking. And sometimes, you know, I would be more stuck with details and research and trying to find the truth in the moments where they would probably not put that importance to it, maybe. So hmm. it was a good way of everybody brought something very different to the table. And, you know, yes, I mean, Sandy is super experienced and so is Graham and both are like giants of cinema. So for me, it was also a wonderful learning experience. But then maybe sometimes it's also good to have at least one part of the party being more naive, <laughs> you know? Maybe bring some some freshness into the process, I hope. Yeah, or or maybe ways of doing things that, that people don't think about anymore because they're familiar with the traditional means. Yes. And methodology. Did you 
find yourself sort of like, I, I love you mentioned in passing something like I had to ask the AD what certain people were doing. And it means that you were honest with yourself and you weren't pretending necessarily to know everything that you didn't know. You were willing to identify new things or learn new things. I think that that's something a lot of people in the industry probably don't do very often. But what were some of the things that you found most challenging and like new about being on this? Because a lot of our listeners, uh, they love to make the jump you know, from making a smaller film or making an indie feature to, you know, having these kinds of features. But what was, what are some of the unexpected things that you're like, I did not see that challenge coming? You know, when things get bigger, I think people tend to think they get easier, right? But that's not necessarily true. No, not necessarily. It's, it's, wow. You know, I mean, it's a complicated question. We could talk about that for hours, I guess. You know? <laughs> Sorry. Um, is like when I look back to those, no, it's a great question because when I look back to those two years, I think the biggest challenges were COVID, dealing with uh, COVID, being shut down in the middle of COVID, having to come back filming five months later under very different protocols, all of a sudden filming in plain summer, whereas the half of the film was shot in winter. And of course we didn't oh, shoot wow. chronologically. So yeah. it, it comes within the scene or you know, um, there, 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 something happened that our DOP, you know, had to have surgery. And so he had to leave us for a few weeks. Then new DOP stepped in, um, who wasn't originally part of the process. So there were crazy challenges Um, and those stick out to me more than, Oh, the big production, you know, right. It's, it it was such a unique set of circumstances that, that, that sort of has to take over like if you're i mean those are crazy things just on their own you got a new dp hat like because you had to change and he was shooting it at a different time of year so your light and everything like it's not even just trying to match what you did (laughs) like like what did you what cameras were you shooting on i guess and then and then our old dop came back once he recovered from the surgery as well oh wow you know i i mean yeah it's but again, it's always like um, the the challenge of of dealing with hurdles. I think sometimes that's what filmmaking is about. You know, you right. plan something and then the unexpected happens. And I'm I'm glad that you know Guillermo Navarro, our DOP, recovered well and was able to film the second half. And the five month of COVID break helped help that process also that he had time to recover. Yeah. So did you spend a lot of time trying to kind of match, like go back and, you know, so much changes seasonally, how much time was spent trying to figure out how to perfectly match? And when you watch the film, do you feel like, oh, yeah, we we pulled it off? Like, I mean, obviously, I can't tell. And I'm sure most people can't. But can you do you see things and think, yeah, that that's part of what happened when we made the switch when we had to wait? Yeah, of course, I see those things. But at the same time, I'm very, very, very proud for the whole team, you know, that we pulled it off that you can watch the film now and you don't think about post-COVID and pre-COVID. It's not just the seasons that are different. It's a whole different way of working that we yeah, have right. in order for everybody to stay safe. So all of a sudden, you cannot have mass scenes with lots of extras anymore right. you know, the extras need to be six feet apart so how do you stage it 
so it feels naturally to the place where you're filming. How do you cast extras in little pods, little families that at least sometimes you have people walking together uh, at least in you know as a couple or a couple right. with kids so we had to plan every single detail of it the actors couldn't come closer than six feet yeah um, because they couldn't wear ppe in front of cameras sure so, it probably changes lens choices sometimes right it, it, <laughs> like definitely, it changes locations you know we try to transfer as many scenes as we could outdoors to have yeah. airflow it requires extreme extreme precise planning of you know shooting the scene setting it up and we could bring them closer than six feet together but only 15 minutes per day and ideally outside so somebody yeah. was really being there with a stopwatch <laughs> and you are very limited in the in the amount of takes and you really choose like okay which are the 15 minutes today which shot is it? Not just a scene, you know, which single shot is it that we get them closer so that all of us, uh, the whole scene sort of feels natural again. And that is like an extreme training <laughs> of craft. And I, I, I think it feels naturally. I, I hope it feels natural when you watch the film. But yeah, that, that was, that yeah, was the thought, you know, so many films we see now, audiences see today or recently, we think, we, we don't think about how it may have been COVID interrupted by production. We're just watching a movie. You know, it's likely it was, but we can't tell when. I mean, certainly in this instance, there was no way I would have known. So yeah, obviously you all did an excellent job with that. It's just fascinating to hear it. And you know, with every project, directors kind of look at it and they see the seams or they see the choices. Yes. And, and it must be like the, that multiplied for you with, you know, knowing that there were these different time frames, eras of filmmaking that are completely different. <laughs> yeah, now. that's true. And at the same time, you know, sometimes things fall into place. For example, when Ruth leaves prison, it was winter and everything is sort of more gray and depressing. And all those scenes when she goes back to her whole old house, that's all shot in summer. Hmm. And in, the, in, a, in a weird way, it matches, you know, because she comes back to that place that she idealizes and she misses and all of a sudden kind of it feels more green mm. and more like nature the contrast between the nature in bloom and the gray concrete of the city is even more stark than it would have been if it was all shot in winter yeah that's interesting that it kind of like benefits ends up benefiting story in a way you can't necessarily anticipate that's i feel like one of those things that you learn that sometimes there are happy accidents, right? Exactly. Talking about the themes of the movie, there's so much going on. How do you do justice to trying to get so much, you know, I'm sure in the script or and, and from the show originally, and I'm sure as the trifecta, you, Graham, and Sandra talking about it, there's a lot of complicated stuff going on obviously forgiveness, <laughs> but just like the way the justice system works now in this country, what people get away with what and what people don't and all of that. There's a lot there. I'm curious what kind of conversations you you guys had. And if ultimately as a director, you kind of just come down to, I, I'm telling the story, you know? Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of conversations about what's important for each story strand for for each side character because they all sort of shine a different light on Ruth 
it's challenging if you have a main character that basically doesn't speak for the first hour of the film and however you want to root for her, you know, and how do you make the audience understand what's in her head if there is really not a lot that she lets slip to the surface. Hmm. Those were the discussions that we had throughout the process, really during script, during editing, um, during shooting. And it was a little bit like playing Jenga because, of course, you know, all the side characters would benefit from more time and more scenes, but still it's not a series anymore. It's a feature film. Um, yeah. Including there is even one more character that happened when adapting it to the American system, which is uh, Rob Morgan's character of the parole officer. Right. So he isn't, his character isn't in the original. Right. So, yeah, it, it, it almost an exercise in, in like silent filmmaking, I guess, like, like, like in telling a story without using a lot of dialogue is, is hard, but it's also like the purest thing. Right. Like, so what right. are, what are, what were some of the things that you came to is like, this is what works, you know, in terms of, you know, editing, acting, all of it. I, I think that nothing captures what movies do better than trying to convey meaning without people talking. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, for example, a very important scene is when Ruth crosses the street very early on in the film, because after talking to incarcerated women, you know, and how they were describing that shock that you experience when you're, when, when you're when you're outside after such a long time and society hmm. has changed, you know, technology's there, people have cell phones, you don't have pay phones anymore, you don't know how to navigate, you know, yeah. um, everyday life. And so so we added that moment where Ruth is really just, you know, trying to go to a job interview, thinks she has it all under control, and just while passing the street it always or it feels like she's, you know, swimming through the Mississippi or something. And yeah. those scenes are important. It was also important to have little moments of eruption almost, you know, where she shoves a woman or she has the little fight in her room because we need to understand the potential of what she's capable of. Right. That yeah. she's repressing. Yeah. Because, you know, when when you're just silent and still and then people talk about what you've done but we haven't seen any sort of that it would also sort of feel off so it was a process of really playing jenga you know how much can yeah. play at what point so that we stay with her and still feel that the story is moving forward yeah moments of violence or violence under the surface Exactly. Um, the threat of violence always feels there, like it's looming there, sort of. You know, women incarcerated, being uh, incarcerated as a cop killer, these are some really like specific and intense realities that you're depicting. You sit, you mentioned you talked to people. What kind of research? Can you tell me more about the research process for it? Yeah, so we went into different prisons, one in Oregon, two in Washington, and we spoke with incarcerated women, but of course also, you know, with guards or social workers who come to the prison work with women there, therapists. We also met with formerly incarcerated women. So we got sort of both sides, the inside and the outside perspective with yeah. women 
who got recently released, who got released a few years ago. So piece by piece, we started, you know, to picture reality and to see what those stories have in common. Plus, I spent a few days in Seattle just to understand the city and the atmosphere of the city and get the vibe because, yeah, the different parts of the U.S. are very different. So just because you LA a little bit doesn't mean you understand Seattle. So that was extra research that me coming from outside I had to do. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting... There's there's two things I want to ask about, but that's an interesting point is that being from Germany originally and, you know, having... And a, a different experience, and then telling a story that takes place in the United States with this judicial system that has qualities that are, of course, distinct. Spending time in Seattle is one thing, but like, did you sort of try to get a sense of like what makes this culture and its relationship to its prison system <laughs> and crime and punishment? You know, all that. There's, I feel like there's so much there. You know, <laughs> like how did you tackle that? I feel like I guess if I put myself in your shoes, and I think. If I was suddenly directing a film in another country that had so much to do, I would feel a little overwhelmed, you know, like overwhelmed and then try to figure out how do I wrap my mind around this? You know? Yeah, you know, and then we're back to that theme of anyways, you're overwhelmed constantly. True. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, it was overwhelming. But at the same time, I wasn't alone, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we were, we were a team, you know, I, I could ask all those questions and. It was also important throughout the process with a costume designer or the production designer or, you know, basically everyone to make sure this feels like an American story. Sure. And I, 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 I did make sure to always double check, like, is that how an American living room will look like? You know, right. is that a form of how do you guys think an American family would communicate? But, you know, I right. mean, the, the cast is mostly American the team was so there were lots and lots of eyes on that factor as well and yeah. yeah no i mean that yeah that that makes sense and you lean on the people and you you know mine everybody around you for insights and for you know creative inspirations one thing that i note about the movie is that there's you know prison and and people who are coming in and out of prison are commonly in our stories and our films and television shows but there's a brutal reality that sometimes like that it doesn't always cover and i feel like the way i could be wrong but i feel like the way that you guys did it with this film is it's it's kind of the way she carries herself that the brutality of the prison system is in her we don't see it and i like that because sometimes i feel like people just be like oh so and so just got out of prison and it's like a normal seeming guy (laughs) it's like i don't think that i don't think you come out feeling and seeming normal (laughs) necessarily Exactly. And the numbers of people who go back in are massive. You have a percentage of 70 to 75% of people, you know, who are incarcerated more than once. And, you know, why is that? Why is it so hard to re-enter society and, and have a life, you know, without committing a crime? And that there, there are many complicated <laughs> aspects to this question, of course. Oh, yeah. Generalize it. Yes. But especially with incarcerated women is that most of them very quickly lose their support system. That their families yeah. don't stick to them. They don't come visit them, you know. So when they get, get released, they get 40 bucks gate money and then they have to take a bus somewhere to a halfway house and then Mm. they have to figure out everyday life by themselves and there is 
almost nobody to support them. So it's really, really important to take a closer look at that because usually you, you don't see those people. Yeah, I can't think of another movie or show that I've seen. I'm sure they exist, but I'm trying to remember one that examines the life of an incarcerated woman that, you know, there's Orange is the New Black. I mean, there are examples, but they're totally, completely different. Um, And it's a very unique thing. And it's obviously not uncommon, you know? Like, so I, I, I am fascinated in that aspect of it. We t- the narrative we have about it really comes through a very specific window. The male experience yeah. of, of prison is something we have on our movies all the time, you know, whether That's it's true. accurate or not. And they're not to mention all the racial elements that come into play, which yeah. in a way you kind of touched on. There's a moment with, you know, one character where she talks about like if, if it had been a black, his son, right? Um, yeah. How different that is. There's a lot to unpack there, I guess, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It it, it was, you know, something that we, that we thought is very important to mention. I also know that it was very, very important for Viola, and um, that that comes up. But it was in the script already before. It was just a moment that we preserved because it is a very different perspective for a white person or a black person being in the system and coming out. Yeah, it's sort of like there's it's 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 it, like you said the jenga thing it reminds me of that because you have to be honest and truthful in that moment or you don't have to but you guys chose to which is a credit to the film and to you and this as the filmmakers but there's also that well we're supposed to sympathize with her and her her struggle and yet you know we're being reminded that despite what's happened to her she is privileged still in a way it's a fascinating yeah. moment really yes exactly I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, as we're, one more question as we're kind of wrapping up and I want to kind of go back to the early, we didn't talk as much about the shorts and and where you got started, but, you know, what did you do to sort of begin a career as a filmmaker? What was it that got you off the ground initially? Like from like, I think I want to do this to I'm doing this. And, and what would you advise somebody sort of as a part B to that? Like who's getting started now? Ooh, well, I mean, it didn't happen overnight, you know? <laughs> right. I'm already 38, so it took quite a long time of making shorts, you know, making the next short, trying to trying to do it better the next time. There is not a movie that I did where I go like, okay, this is perfect. You know, I always look back and like, what 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 could be better? What could I have done differently? I I think it's it's very important, especially early on while doing shorts, to experiment and do things as radical as possible true to your own voice because that will then distinct you from others. And I know that when, when we did system crusher and I researched it for such a long time, you know, six years it took me to do the film altogether. Mm. And there were very dark times when I thought it's never going to get finance. We're never going to make it. I'm still here by myself writing this script. You know what, why it's worth having a long breath. When we did system crusher, I never made it to be successful or to be commercial or something. I just try to make it that it feels like true to the story that it's telling. And something there made the film stand out hmm. and made me get this job. If hmm. I had known that, like if I had made System Crusher in order 
to to have it seen by by, by Hollywood folks, you know, it would have yeah. looked like a very different movie, and yeah. probably the whole thing would have failed. So, yeah. be you know, be be brave and 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 kind of radical and have a long breath. That's my advice. Yeah, that's good. A good point, and I. You know, I like that you you highlight something. There were dark times where you were like, "Why am I doing this?" Or this is never going to happen. Just yeah. last thing, but like, what is it that you that gets you to move through those times when you have those thoughts? Uh, time, <laughs> no, <laughs> time helps because there isn't something that you can actively do. I mean keep on doing the stuff it's sometimes very hard especially screenwriting like writing is the process that i struggle with the most hmm. because like directing for me it's sort of more easy because you are always constantly in exchange with other people and even mm-hmm. if you have dark yeah. times you know somebody sends you a schedule that you have to look at or you know ideas for costumes that you have to send feedback on or you know something comes from the outside whereas during writing you're alone with that word document or with that white paper and left alone mm. with a little voice in your head that says, Oh, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> and then how to come over with that. That's tough. It's really is like, it takes time. And then no matter what, go sit again, read it the next day. And sometimes you also have to write something that's really bad in order to maybe, you know, see what you don't want. Yeah. Yeah, see what you don't want or just have it out there so it's once out of your system. And mm. then take a break, read it again a month later, and then you'll see what what to pre- preserve or if it all needs to be thrown away. And definitely I, also I have two kids, you know, and that's pretty grounding in dark times when you think like Oh yeah. <laughs> I can relate. I have two as well. I what something you said though that really struck me in that was your your first instinct is your answer was time. There's actually something really calming about thinking about it that way because sometimes you, there's no race. You just give yourself time to work through it to find the answer. Instead of I think there's a people think they got to grind on it constantly, but maybe sometimes time is what they need. Yeah. And during writing system pressure Sometimes it was so dark. There was one break that took a year. You know, I put the, wow. I really did not write a word for a whole year. Made another film. We made the documentary Argentina. Yeah. And then it was like almost <laughs> like, you know, it really hit me when I then read it after a year because I could feel which parts would work really well and what, what I need to put the focus on. That's amazing. I love that. I love the idea that I've heard people say like, yeah, put it in a drawer, pick up something else and come back. But I've never heard somebody say like, yeah, I just took a year, did something <laughs> completely different. And then when I came back to it, I had answers. And then that, you know, that became a very successful film for you. So that's a great story. And thank you so much for, for coming on and congratulations on The Unforgivable and on whatever comes next. Thank you so much to Nora for coming on the podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. You can find The Unforgivable on Netflix, streaming everywhere. And head over to nofilmschool.com. We have a post actually on this topic, sort of, on what is an anti-hero and how do you write a great one. 
There will be a link in the show notes. And it's just related to talking about these types of characters and why they're so popular and fascinating to audiences and filmmakers alike. And a lot of people try, but but what is the key to really doing it well? Check it out on the website. And thanks so much for listening.